Our text this morning is taken from 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. For if these things be in you and abound, they shall make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. In our study last time, we looked at verses 5 through 7 in this first chapter of Second Peter. And in that passage, we were admonished to make it a principle to exhibit all earnestness and haste to fully supply in the sphere of faith, in the great and valuable promises of God, that moral behavior which will acquire for us the highest opinion. But in the sphere of that moral behavior that we will acquire uh, the, the highest opinion in, we are to fully supply the process of studying the Word of God. But in the sphere of the process of studying the Word of God, we are to fully supply a self-controlled will. But in the sphere of that self-controlled will, we are to fully supply contentment, no matter what our circumstances might be. But in the sphere of contentment, regardless of our circumstances, we're to fully supply that consistency of duty to God, which is characterized by an attitude that does that which is pleasing to God. But in the sphere of that consistency of duty to God, which is characterized by an attitude that does that which is pleasing to God, we're to fully supply brotherly love. But in the sphere of that brotherly love, we are to fully supply a self-sacrificial love that manifests itself in giving and continues to love regardless of the response. That's a year's work laid out for us in our study last week. We want to bring some emphasis to that then in verses 8 and 9 of our study today that builds upon that concept. So the mechanics for living the Christian life, meeting the standard that is established for us by the Word of God, is briefly outlined, uh, though in a few short verses there is a great deal of doctrine that is set forth for us and not only of doctrine, but of that which is applicable to our lives on a daily basis that we might grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So now in verses 8 and 9, Peter explains that that process that we have spent time on last week will ensure that the believer, by developing a new nature, will not be idle, will not be unfruitful, 
will not be blind or will not be forgetful. Look with me then at the text. He said, For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That word for begins this sentence because it's setting forth for us the result, the effect, the reason, if you will, for following that seven-step principle that is set forth in the earlier verses. If these things be in you. These things refers to the seven steps of spiritual growth and we identified them and in your study guide outline had a illustration of the concentric circles with each one becoming more binding as it moves toward maturity beginning with faith and adding to our faith then that proper behavior, that biblical behavior that testifies that we're under the control of the Holy Spirit. And it's within that sphere of being controlled by the Holy Spirit that we are then able to process Bible knowledge, process information from God so that we can both understand Scripture and we can understand how it relates to our life. I've had those in the past who have said to me from various congregations, I just can't understand what you're saying. It's too deep and I can't understand it. And I usually, in loving kindness, point out that our ability to understand the Word is dependent upon our standing with God, upon our fellowship, upon our being controlled by the Holy Spirit. And so if we have a problem understanding the Word, it's probably related to our submission or yieldness to the Holy Spirit. Now, some of us can butcher it up and give the Holy Spirit an awful lot of work to do to straighten it out, to make it understandable to you. But nevertheless, our understanding of the Word of God and how it relates to our life is going to be controlled by our being under that dominant control of the Holy Spirit, enabled then with that ability to understand spiritual things. So if these seven steps, these seven uh, principles and mechanics of doctrinal growth are present in our life, if they are in you, he says, and abound, We saw in our study last time that as we worked our way through each of uh, these uh, steps, uh, beginning then with faith and adding to that virtue and to virtue knowledge and knowledge then self-control and working our way down through them, that in each instance there was the statement fully develop. Fully develop. Fully Supply, we use that word along with develop to identify the, the need not simply to have a familiarity with these principles of application in living the Christian life, but to fully develop them. 
We also identified in our study that it's not a situation where you develop one completely and then you move on to the next one. But as we grow in one area, there is growth available to us in the next area. And so it's uh, in proportion to our development of faith will be our ability to develop virtue. And in proportion to our development of virtue will be our ability to develop the processing of knowledge in the Word of God. And in our ability to process the Word of Knowledge is our ability then for self-control, to control uh, the old nature rather than being controlled. And as those steps are progressed, uh, we we find growth in our life in one area makes growth in our life in the next area available and we are to follow that process all the way through. Our ultimate goal is to fully develop each one of these stages or as I like to refer to them, the mechanics of developing spiritual maturity. If these things be in you, Notice that the statement is personal as Peter makes this application then uh, to those to whom the letter is addressed. And of course, we are part of that larger audience. He could scarcely anticipate that through these centuries later, uh, we would be focusing upon that which had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit of God and which he had penned for the growth and development of the children of God. And so this uh, statement, if these things be in you. I point out that the word if is not in the Greek text. It's a supposition that these things will be. Now, we have have looked at the word if in the New Testament quite a few times in our study uh, over the past several years, and we have identified that the word if in Greek, there are four different uses of the if conditional clause. If you do this, then this will be the result. Uh, the Greeks had that first class if, which meant if and it's true. Uh, Peter could have used that here and said, if and it's true that these things be in you, but that was not yet developed. The second class of if in the Greek is is where we say if and it's false. It's not true. If, but it's not true. The third class is if and maybe it's true, maybe it's false. Uh, one might think that Peter could have used that here when he said if maybe you do have these things abounding in you and Maybe you don't. Or he could have used the fourth class if, which says, if and I wish it were true, but it's not. We we use a lot of uh, statements, if clauses that way uh, today without having that form of grammar uh, in our English. But the interesting thing is that none of these is used in the text. He simply says, for these things being in you. The 
the statement of being in you is what we've identified as another principle of God because it's a participle. That means it's a principle with God. And uh, so he says, for these things continuing as a matter of principle to be in you. You have some of this development already through your acceptance of Jesus Christ as personal Savior and the limited knowledge that you had to come to understand salvation and the experience that you've had with the Word of God. Uh, These things uh, are available to us and we begin to develop them, but they need to abound in our life. He said, not only continue as a matter of principle to be in you, but he says, and abound. That word identifies the multiplication of this growth that we're talking about. The multiplication of faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So the more we're exposed to the Word of God, the greater our capacity for faith. Virtue comes then by our developing that submission to God and utilizing Scripture as it relates, avoiding temptation or resisting it when it comes. There is that growing process that Peter wants us to understand then is available to us. And and these things being in you and abounding then there is a result of that. They make you that ye shall be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge that he is identifying here. Notice the statement, these things being in you and abounding, there is a result of that then. And that result is they make you literally they so constitute you that you are then neither barren nor unfruitful. If we follow this concept that God has presented to us through the pen of the epistle, Peter, if we follow the mechanics that are set forth there, and we develop our faith on the promises of God, and then based upon those promises within that spectrum, I call it a sphere, within that sphere of faith, we then develop this virtue, this yielding of ourselves to the Spirit of God. And within that uh, sphere, uh, we develop self-control. And within the self-control we continue that growth process, we then have the guarantee that we will neither be barren nor unfruitful. We've been challenged by the Word of God as we live life here upon the earth, and Peter emphasizes this, and it's the theme of this epistle that we have begun to study and will be studying through this year as the Lord blesses and gives opportunity. Hopefully He'll come and teach it Himself uh, around the great white throne somewhere. But 
till then we'll go ahead and substitute for him. But we are going to see this process that of the life that we are to live out based upon the time in which we are living here and the circumstances that are around us. We spent this time in the past looking at Bible prophecy. We spent a year looking at the events that are happening today and how they relate then to the words of God concerning the things that will be and the plan of God. And in the midst of that, we have repeatedly seen that we are sojourners. We are foreigners as believers, not living in our own country, but living alongside the locals that we might do the king's business. In his earthly ministry, Jesus taught parable after parable about stewardship. As a matter of fact, along with our study as sojourners, we've seen that we are called bond slaves, that we are called ambassadors for Christ. We are identified as stewards. And to us has been entrusted the Word of God and the plan of God that we might share it with those that are around us. Our ministry is defined, as we saw in our past study, our ministry is defined by two things, our spiritual gifting and the circumstances that we encounter in our daily walk. Those two things define specifically what our ministry is. When we are told that we are to bear fruit, we must bear fruit not in the area of someone else's gifting, but in the area of where our gifting is. We are fruitful based upon the provision that God has given and our application of those principles to our lives on a daily basis. Our objective then, as Peter sets it forth, is that we develop these mechanics so that we do not, that we are not then, I should say, neither barren nor unfruitful. Two things that he brings to point. The first is the word barren, and it's from the Greek word argus. It means without production, but it means without production due to inactivity. Barren carries the idea not only of not having any production, but that production that is missing is missing because of a lack of activity on our part, because of our inactivity. Christianity was never designed to be a spectator sport but it has become that through the years. The structure of the church, and especially as we see the megachurch developing, uh, so little involvement then on an individual basis. It's more than a, 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 more a spectator than a participatory activity for us, and we need to recognize that inactivity will result in our barrenness. Now, the church should provide a program, a means, an an outlet, not only just instruction, 
uh, concerning what the gifting is, but instruction and opportunity as to how to go about that. And so there is to be some structure uh, for the benefit of those uh, uh, that that worship together, that they uh, become involved not just in study, but in knowing how to apply the Word of God to their life on a daily basis and relate that to others so that we are neither barren nor unfruitful. Without production, due to inactivity and unfruitful. The Scripture says, By their fruits ye shall know them. And... Uh, there has been a great deal of misunderstanding about that uh, in that the application of fruits has primarily been made to uh, evangelism and to regeneration, to the propagation uh, of, of the gospel message itself that I've heard many times that sheep are to beget sheep. And so uh, your production that is expected of you by the Word of God uh, is that you lead others to Christ as personal Savior. Well, certainly that's the primary beginning point, the objective, but it's only the beginning point because uh, uh, there must be as well the growth and development of that sheep, the knowledge that comes through the Word of God and the methodology that is found in the Word of God. And so God has so structured the church with nine spiritual gifts that are operative throughout the entire history of the church age. And we find ourselves with at least one of those gifts. The Scripture teaches the Holy Spirit is the one that designates the gifts and gives those gifts. And we are then fruitful or unfruitful relative to what our particular gift is. We uh, have the area of evangelism then uh, that is the, the thrust of the church, but along with that comes the equipping of the saints then to do the work of the ministry and the teaching of the Word so that that is uh, able to be done in a biblical manner in a, a truthful manner as the growth of individuals develop. And so we need, no matter what our spiritual gift is, we need to develop these seven mechanics that we looked at last week and we'll be looking at through uh, the year ahead uh, as we refer back to them. They are the basis of our activity and they will constitute us so that we will not be inactive, we will be active, and there will be production, and we will bear fruit. He said, if these things abide in you and abound, they so constitute you that you are neither without production due to inactivity or unfruitful. And notice then how he specifies and identifies the unfruitfulness. Neither without production due to inactivity nor unfruitful unto 
the knowledge of the Lord of us, Jesus Christ. Knowledge is the focus in this passage. We are to practice and be involved in the seven-step process that we saw in verses 5 through 7. And if we do that, as we do that, we then will neither be without production due to inactivity, nor will we be unfruitful unto the knowledge of the Lord. We said within faith we were to develop virtue, and within virtue we were to develop knowledge, the process of taking in knowledge. This is not that word gnosis for knowledge that we had in the previous verses. We had it earlier on in our introduction. It is the word epinosin. It means knowledge that is understood. Knowledge that is accepted and knowledge then that is applicable, useful to us, to our circumstances and our situation. In the previous verse, we identified knowledge, the word notion, as the process of taking in knowledge. Here we have the fulfillment of that beyond the process of taking in knowledge as we apply these seven mechanics in our spiritual growth, then we not only have an understanding of Scripture, but we can and must make some decisions relative to whether that will be a standard for us, whether that will be a norm, a right, or a wrong for us. And as we do that, it becomes useful then in application in our life. So in one verse we talked about the process of taking in knowledge. Now we take that knowledge in, we have to do something about it. We have to mix it with faith. We have to accept it as a statement or a truth for ourselves to the extent that when we accept it, it becomes part of our norms and standards. What we believe about right and wrong And therefore, it programs our conscience and dictates our behavior. As we go through this process, then we are able to understand the Word of God, to make commitment concerning the Word of God, so that we are no longer without production due to inactivity, so that we are no longer in unfruitful unto the specific, fully applied, experiential knowledge of the Lord. Notice that this is identified in the Scripture as the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Literally, it says, specifically from the Lord of us. Jesus Christ. We've identified and explained uh, on a number of occasions the title of our Lord. And as you read the New Testament, it's beneficial to be alert to that. If the word 
that you have in your text is simply the word Lord. It's a reference to His deity, to the fact that He is God. If the word is Jesus, then it's a reference to His humanity, the fact that He became flesh and lived among us in a body born of a virgin, bypassing the imputed sin of Adam and being in the same position uh, in which Adam was uh, to make a choice of right or wrong, to make a choice of obedience or of resistance. Adam made the wrong choice. He resisted the command of God not to eat of the forbidden tree. When he saw it was good for food, it was pleasant to the eye, and it was desired to make one wise, he went against the commandment of God. But the Lord Jesus Christ did not do that. And every time we have the word Jesus in our New Testament, it is a testimony of the humanity of the one who, born of God, lived that sinless life in order that He might be qualified to pay our debt and to be our Redeemer. He is deity. He is the Lord of us. And He is identified as Jesus. And then in this text, He is identified as well as Christ. Again, the word Christ identifies the Messiah, the sent one of God, the Savior of the world. The word Christ incorporates the entire plan of God for the redemption of man from the beginning to the end. And he became, the the man Jesus became the fulfillment of the Christ, the Messiah of the Old Testament, the Christos or the Christ of the New Testament. So all three aspects, his role as deity, his role as humanity and meeting our obligation, his role as Christ as becoming the plan of God, the Savior of the world is identified here. If you allow the Word of God to develop in your life, these seven basic principles that we have examined, these mechanics that we have examined in our study last time, then it will constitute you that you will neither be without production because of inactivity or unfruitful as it relates to the understanding and the application of the Word of God to your life that word which came specifically from the Lord of us, Jesus Christ. That verse should read this way then. For these things constantly being in you and continually abounding as a matter of principle, they so constitute you that you are neither without production due to inactivity nor unfruitful in the fully applied experiential knowledge from the Lord, uh, from our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter very quickly then captions that with verse 8, verse 9. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off 
and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sin. Notice then the antithesis, the other side of this presentation. If you adopt those seven basic principles and mechanics and work through them in developing spiritual growth, you're not going to be without production due to inactivity and uh, you are not going to be unfruitful as it relates to your understanding and accepting and applying the Word of God to your life on a daily basis. But the other side of the coin, he that lacks these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Blind can't see afar off and he's forgotten something. He's forgotten that he was purged from his old sin. The believer then that has not developed uh, the process that described is described in verses 5 through 7 is identified as blind and being uh, nearsighted, not able to see far, and is forgetful concerning who he is now and what has transpired in his being delivered from sin. He lacketh. That word actually identifies that that the one that does not develop this process, he keeps on, these things keep on not being present uh, in him, uh, would identify then the believer that has not taken these seven principles, these seven mechanics, and made them the guide in the establishment of his relationship with God in developing spiritual maturity, in developing growth. The one in whom these things are not continually present, then he said that individual is blind. The word blind here identifies that aspect of the inability to have spiritual perception, to understand the things of God. In earlier study, we've talked about the distinction between uh, the soul of man and the spirit of man. When God created Adam, he formed him out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of lives, the Hebrew says plural, actually dual. There was spiritual life and there was soulish life. The soul of man is that ability that man has to identify and relate to human phenomena, to human experience. We need a soul so that we can understand what we are and what we are to be about and understand then human experience. But God created Adam with a spirit as well because the natural man, the the Greek says the soulish man, does not understand the things of God. They are spiritually discerned. Man must have a human spirit in order to understand spiritual phenomena. Not just the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, 
He must be born spiritually. He must be born again. He must have a second birth. He must be born of the Spirit of God. And the moment we call upon Jesus Christ for salvation, in that moment then, we are born again. We are born from above, the Scripture says. Jesus explained that birth process uh, to Nicodemus and explaining the need for that. And then Paul writing in Corinthians informs us that the soulish man can understand the things of God. He has to spiritually discern those things. He has to be born of the Spirit of God. And Paul addresses the Christians as being body, soul, and spirit. So, when we receive salvation, when we accept the grace gift of God for salvation, it is a new birth experience, and we now have body, soul, and spirit. Our body is that vehicle that the soul lives in and the spirit lives in. And the spirit and the soul are superimposed upon the format, the structure that God has given in the brain and in the mind for understanding. We have, uh, as a result of salvation, then become a trichotomous being, a body, soul, and spirit, instead of just a body, soul, individual. The Spirit of God uh, teaches then our human spirit so that we can understand the things of God. The believer is no longer blind. Unless that believer is not growing in the nurture and the knowledge of the Lord, unless that believer is not investing in the sphere of faith that virtue to develop then knowledge and not taking that knowledge and administering that, that individual is said to be blind. Cannot see, is short-sighted, cannot see the things that God has revealed in His Word and that He has declared for us. Not only has He no capacity as an unbeliever to understand the things of God, but as a believer that has not followed the growth process, there is a blindness and a short-sightedness that relates to that individual. A second thing that Peter identifies is the result of our not developing those seven basic mechanics is that we forget that we've been purged from our sin. Hath forgotten that he was purged from his old nature, from his old sin as it's defined in the King James text. If we don't understand the Word of God and we aren't studying that and making conscious decision to apply it to our life, not only are we short-sighted in trying to get through life and live out our design, but we forget that we have been delivered from our old nature 
and we excuse our behavior on the basis of our old sin nature. Many a Christian has deliberately sinned knowing that they had 1 John 1 9 as a cop out and God honors that cop out. He set forth a basic principle, but they need to understand the process of divine discipline that God also initiates to bring us into a behavioral pattern that is more beneficial or profitable to us. The difference between God's discipline in our life and the discipline of our earthly fathers is not in the shellacking that we get, but it's in the purpose of that shellacking. Our Heavenly Father said, your earthly fathers disciplined you after their own pleasure. They disciplined you to bring you into a pattern of life, into behavior that was pleasing to them. But not so for our Heavenly Father. He disciplines us to bring us into a behavior that's more profitable for us. Now, my dad used that line some. I'm doing this for your own good, but not necessarily the case. But with God, whenever discipline comes, it's always for our own good. It's to bring us into a behavior pattern that's less desirable, that doesn't have as much fun. No, it's to bring us into a behavioral pattern that is more profitable for us. So the individual that does not develop these seven mechanics, these basic principles of Christian growth in their life, that individual has made it a principle to be forgetful that he's been delivered from the old nature and he cops out, the devil made me do it. I don't have an option. Yes, we do have an option. But if we don't know the Word of God and we're not walking in the Word of God and we're not applying those principles of the Word of God to our life, we become forgetful. It's kind of like one of my granddaughters, great-granddaughters, when uh, she was conversing with my wife, my wife said something about it and she kind of limited the activity based on her age and she says, you're only three years, she said, uh, but I'm three and a half years of age. I'm three and a half. A day or two later when many corrected her about something, she puckered up and said, but I'm only three years old. So we use those things to fit our situation, our circumstances. Well, many a Christian, but I'm only human. I have an old sin nature. But if you don't have the knowledge and are making the application of that knowledge to your life, you forget that you've been delivered from the authority of that old nature. Not delivered from His presence. Not delivered from His influence. We saw that in our study last week. 
but delivered from the authority so that now, remember, you can have self-control. Within that sphere of faith, you are to develop that proper application of God's Word and the control of the Spirit to your life so that you have self-control over the old nature. But the individual that does not have these seven basics developed in his life makes it a matter of principle to deliberately forget that he has been cleansed from that old nature's authority and he now has authority and control and power over the old nature. Now observe the believer is not to live out life in an outdated lifestyle that still involves the antiquated sin. There is to be a movement from that, a growth from that, a putting off from that. We're to follow the principles that James set forth in dealing with temptation and not forget that we have been delivered. So verse 9 should read this way. For the one in whom these things keep on being not present keeps on really being blind constantly making it a principle to be short-sighted. Having made it a principle to take hold of forgetfulness of his cleansing from his outdated sin. Here are the principles. Number one, this process of spiritual growth is to be operating in the believer's life. Make it a principle to exhibit all earnestness and haste to fully supply in the sphere of faith in the great and valuable promises of God that moral behavior which will acquire for us the highest opinion. In that sphere of moral behavior that will acquire the highest opinion we're to fully supply the process of studying the Word of God. In the sphere of the process of studying the Word of God, we're to fully supply the self-controlled will. And in the sphere of the self-controlled will, we're to fully supply contentment, regardless of our circumstances. And in the sphere of that contentment, regardless of the circumstances, we are to fully supply that consistency of duty to God which is characterized by an attitude that does that which is pleasing to God. In the sphere of that consistency of duty which is characterized by an attitude that does that which is pleasing to God, we are to fully supply brotherly love. And in the sphere of that brotherly love, we are to fully develop and supply self-sacrificial love. So you follow that chart, see where you are in that process of growth and maturity. This process then constitutes the believer so that he is active, 
producing fruit in the fully applied experiential knowledge from the Lord Jesus Christ. The believer, however, that does not develop that process described in verses 5 through 7 is described as blind and short-sighted. And failure to develop the process described in verses 5 through 7 is the result of the believer having made it a principle to forget that he has been delivered from the authority of his antiquated sins, the authority of the old nature, he is now to live a new life. If you are not spending your time in the Word of God and studying it and making application of it, then you have established a principle to forget that you've been delivered from the action and the authority of the old nature and you will excuse your sinful behavior and not measure up to the calling that God has for us. But of course, it all begins at salvation. For the Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The Bible says that with the heart man believes unto righteousness, but with the mouth confession is made unto salvation, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We are freed from the authority of the old nature. So we can grow spiritually to be more like Christ. And we can follow the concept that's set forth to us in verses 5 through 7 of chapter 1 of Second Peter within these various spheres we can develop a self-sacrificial love that manifests itself in giving and be fruitful and productive. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank You for Your Word, for its instruction to us. We thank You for the mechanics that are laid out for us. Now, fix our want-tos so that we want to do that. Fix our sight so that we understand and see that it's more profitable for us and more joyous for us to develop this process of spiritual growth. Receive from us then our praise and adoration, but may it be supported in our actions and in our life. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.